put your hands together for the late morning program with your host, Nam Ross! Jai Jaganapra Boo. What's up? Welcome. Fist bump. Dundavad's pronouns. <laughs> How's it going? All right. Could be a little bit better in terms of my health, but otherwise, I'm always grateful. Nice, nice. So, um, just we want to know where you're from, where you've been. How'd you come to Krishna consciousness, maybe? I'm from Chi Town. Nice. Um, Here, come, come look closer. Yeah. I'm from Chi Town. Grew up in the sort of bad part of Chi Town until I was five. Then my mom was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a brother. I have a younger brother. And, and his name is? Jai Baladev. Nice. But I'm the older brother. Right. Oh, okay. So Jai Jagannath Jai Baladev. Yeah, she, I love that. She moved us out. And one of her concerns growing up was that uh, she used to say this to us regularly. I don't know if this is fully appropriate, but she used to say this to us regularly that I ain't raised no niggas in this house. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if you could say that, but... But she, she was real heavy with us. And um, when we were... Not, when I was nine, she had us um, put into a dance camp. And we cried like anything. What are all the boys going to say about us? for girls. <laughs> that ended up being our saving grace, actually, though. Um, I started to take dance very seriously. It was really into dance until I was 18. And then I met the devotees when I was 18. Nice. What preceded my meeting the devotees was like a certain existential question. I often like to say that um, what begins a person's spiritual life are like the serious questions in life. And they're usually like existential in nature. Who am I? What is the purpose of life? And so on. Right. The question I was asking myself and which kind of um, catalyzed my spiritual life was, is love a real thing? Hmm. Because I was seeing all my friends. I was in a dance world. So I was seeing all types of love you know, going on in the dance world, you see a variety of what people call love. Mm. And I just saw it as exploitation even at that time. So I was wondering if love was a real thing, and that kind of catalyzed my interest in spiritual things. I was living with my cousin in New York. He gave me a book called Man, Carl Jung's Man and His Symbols. Mm. And in that book, they were talking about words I had really never heard of before, like consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> consciousness and subconsciousness and archetypes and i remember when my cousin gave me that book he said to me don't read this while smoking weed but i didn't smoke weed i was a good boy because my mom's belt was more fearful <laughs> my desire for smoking weed and all these things so i read that book and it kind of geared my quest for love and understanding love in a spiritual direction so i started reading like a lot of religious literature philosophy um, after some time, I came back to Chicago. I was living in New York for some time, training as a dancer. Came back to training as a dancer. I was training as like a, a professional. I was going to be a professional. I was training at Joffrey Ballet. Wow. Um, for a period, and then I came back to Chicago. I was doing all sorts of auditions for different schools that I had planned on going to. And I remember distinctly coming back to Chicago at one point, asking my mother, "Will I ever find love?" And I remember being at the Starbucks inside the Dominic's. You know how some of the like, Dominic's is like a Dwayne Weed. Dwayne Weed. Reed. And um, Dwayne Weed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Dwayne Reed in Chicago. Dominic's like a um, food store. Right. And it was a Starbucks inside. And I remember distinctly sitting there and asking her, would I ever find love? And 
and she was saying everyone finds love and she gave me some answer like that and i remember thinking this is total bull i don't know if i <laughs> this yeah is it. it's okay whatever so um shortly a short time after that um i was associating with people who were doing underground hip-hop I started doing underground hip hop, believe it or not. Nice. Died well, like a little free, flow. Yeah, freestyle. I, I, freestyle. I can't do it right now, so don't put me on the spot. I was just gonna ask you, nah, can you do one for us? Nah. Maybe a little bit at the end. Maybe okay. I have to think at the it. end. At the end. But um, I started really getting into that for a while, and yeah. we met one guy who we heard was into the underground hip hop, um, that was living near us in Evanston. That's where I grew up. And um, we went to his shop and heard some of his music. And all his music was from like Bhagavad Gita, what? different spiritual li li literatures. Uh, he was speaking all um, various <clears throat> concepts from these literatures. So I was like really fascinated where this is coming from. So I used to hang out with him from six o'clock in the evening to midnight almost every day hmm. for like over half a year, just inquiring to him about spiritual subject matters. Um, I just felt he had a greater, deeper understanding of spirituality than me. I had my doubts, of course. I remember at one point when he would, he was kind of like a Maya vibe in spirit and conviction. And he would always be speaking to me about oneness and everything like that. And oftentimes when like a beautiful woman would walk into the store, you know how in the, those old convenience stores I used to keep like those big circle mirrors, mirrors right? Yeah. So, so you could see who's yeah, everywhere. Like that. Yeah. So I remember he would be speaking to me. I, I see him, his eyes going here and there. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, well, I thought we were all one. Like it doesn't really matter. No gender. It's just all spiritual. Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, it's all one. But sometimes my realization gets compromised. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like, okay, this guy, he's got some knowledge, but he ain't got the full realization. Mm. So at one point I asked him where i asked him where he was coming from like where where was all this knowledge coming from so he told me about two temples um the iskan temple and the uh, another sort of yoga kriya yoga center which is more impersonal in nature so the Hare Krishna temple was 20 minutes walking from my house oh. so i naturally went there first i went on a sunday feast now he was supposed to meet me there him and his sister and his sister's boyfriend now all of them were devotees but none of them told me like um, his sister, her name is Dayarupa, and her, her then husband was Haridas. Mm. So they were all supposed to meet me at the temple on a Sunday feast. They never came. I came into the Sunday feast, um, walked in with my shoes on, because we from the West, we don't have that idea that you take your you shoes off. You walked with your shoes With my the shoes on in the temple room. And nice. I distinctly remember this Hindu guy. He was Hindu. He definitely wasn't a devotee. <laughs> yeah. He blasted me. Take your shoes off, like... <laughs> The first time coming this, to the temple. This is my first experience nice. inside the temple. Nice. And I was like, bro, you don't know where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, somehow I didn't get discouraged. I took my shoes off, um, came inside the, the temple, um, saw the deities. Wasn't too weird out by that. Saw the devotees with the funny hairdo. That was a little weird. Mm. Um, but it wasn't like, it was like a total culture shock. Um, what got me was that Prabhupada Murti. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago Temple. Yeah, I have. But they have that huge simasan of Prabhupada. It's a bit higher up. It's huge. It's a bit higher. It's very high up. <laughs> yeah. Prabhupada looks like an emperor of the world on that Vyasa sign. And, right. um, and when you walk in... But that's how it should be, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's another... No, I'm not indicating anything. Okay, you're course. not indicating anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I walk in and when you don't know that's a Murti, you think like Prabhupada's actually sitting there. Right. Yeah. Of course. A lot of people. Have said so that. I was staring at him because you know how when you, um, 
want to get someone's attention, you kind of like stare and like you put off some energy. Yeah. And then with the energy, they'll come to look at you. Hmm. So I was like staring at Prabhupada like, yo, I'm pretty spiritual and I've just arrived. You know? <laughs> Acknowledge me. Acknowledge you me. That, was that was a, spirit. I thought was Prabhupada person. was sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of like, acknowledge me. Acknowledge me. Right. I'm like, this guy not looking left, right. He just fixed in the center. <laughs> so finally, at one point, I just walked in front of the Prabhupada Murti. So yeah. you can see that I've arrived and I should be more or less honored. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, shoot, it's a statue. <laughs> so then I was like, Jai, just, just back away. No one knows that you thought it was a statue. Just yeah. act like it's cool. You know, don't. Don't expose yourself. Right. So anyway, that ends up being my saving grace. So I stay for the Sunday Feast program. Um, I don't remember. I remember who gave the class. I'm not going to say the name. And um, in the class, they kept, they used the word condemned three times in the class. Ooh. And, you know, when you're new to this philosophy of Christian consciousness, everything is literally like this. Yeah. So you could basically only catch words. Yeah. So condemn. And he probably was saying so much meaningful content. But all that was happening was condemn, condemn. Yeah. So, okay, after three times, I was like, all right, these people like the Christians, yo. They just be condemning everyone. Left, oh, right, my God. So I left the temple with no intention of returning. Um, and then I remember leaving the temple. There was one devotee there. His name was Abhimanyu. Super tall devotee. Oh, I know him. You know Abhimanyu? Yeah, yeah, he's so cool. he was in Chicago that time. Yeah. And he was like, hey, you want some prasada? <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is prasada? <laughs> So I was like, nah, bro, I, I'm good, you know, because yeah. you don't want to admit, like, I don't know what prasadam is. Right. So I just left the temple with no intention of returning. Three days later, I was preparing myself for a, um, a dance audition for The Lion King. Um, bro, Lion, Lion King, King on Broadway came to Chicago. What? So I was preparing for an audition for that. Just as a, a, a side, I did really well in that audition. I made it to the final cut, but I didn't get the final, final pick because they wanted me to gain, like, a little bit more weight. Oh, man. Yeah, which is cool. I, it made sense to me. Anyway, so I was preparing for that audition three days after I came from the temple. And yeah. I'm seeing, um, <clears throat> I was kind of like in the state of stupor singing different songs from The Lion King, kind of gone. And I grabbed one book from my mom's spiritual bookshelf called The Signs of Self-Realization. And the old Signs of Self-Realization, I see you have some over there. Yeah. They have the Pearl picture on the cover. So I picked up the book and I opened the pictures first. And I was just singing. I was like, these pictures ain't all that. Closed the book. And went to put the book back on the shelf. And then I, I was like, wait a minute. I know this dude. I just synced him. <laughs> <laughs> I just synced him somewhere. And so I had to really sit for a minute and think about it. And I was like, this is a guy from that temple I went right. the other day. How did this book get in my house? Oh. So I was really mystified by that. So I opened the book. And in the old ones, we can see later. But in the old ones, the, they have like a little italicized introduction to each chapter mm -hmm. and so the italicized introduction to the first chapter says something to the effect like who are you do you know who you are or do you think you know who you are are you your body are you your mind are you something else altogether and i was like man this sounds like some morpheus <laughs> <laughs> i don't know from the from the matrix you know that yeah. that's how it was that was how it was speaking to me yeah so i became fascinated i ended up staying up the whole night reading that book and um by the next morning, I was chanting Hare Krishna and Whoa. made commitments to follow for regular principles. And the rest is history. Not quite, but seven months later, I ended up moving to the temple. I dropped my dance ambitions for a No! Well, to be a professional <laughs> know, dancer. Yeah, and yeah. then um, I moved into the temple. And then the rest is history. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> Spent the next 13 and a half years in the monastery. 
and then had a very dramatic exit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then started traveling for a year and a half and then landed in Bhakti Center where I'm now um, on the, the education team. Nice. Basically making courses, teaching it courses. Seems like you're, it seems like a lot of your focus is on studying. On a personal lo- level, yes, definitely. And teaching as well. Yeah, studying and teaching. Um, <clears throat> mostly in studying. I was telling recently at the Bhakti Center, because <clears throat> we're still kind of formulating our teams and our paths and they're, they're building. Right. So I was making the point to them that, you know, for a Bhakti Center educator, for an educator in general, there's, their job is to study. Right. I, like, I know for the rest of, I was about to say for the rest of y'all, that, <laughs> that sounds just so <laughs> contemptuous. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I didn't mean it like that. I know for a lot of people, reading is like something that you do when you have a little extra time. Right. And you get your one verse in, your two verses, your three pages a day. Right. Like that. But if you're going to be an educator or teacher, your job is literally to study. Right. So the four or five or six or seven hours that people put into doing so much of work for various things. For an educator, their business is to study. And oftentimes, it does appear to me in my personal experience, also in my vicarious experience as well, that people who spend their time studying and often not appreciated so much, it's like lazy. They're like, Prabhu, what are you doing? You're like, well, I'm studying. Well, you, would you like to do some seva? Right. <laughs> you know, you should do some seva. Um, but I have a strong conviction that studying is a, a very important service to the society. We obviously see in the modern social realm the effect of really bad ideas. And I'm not going to throw any names out there because I'm going to get in trouble. Right. But there, we see that there are real-world consequences for really bad ideas. Can you give an example of that? Oh, I mean, I have one example in my mind, but I don't want to say it. Um, uh, uh, um, let me think of one that's not so politically polarizing. Um, Mm-hmm. Okay, we can go come back. Yeah, to yeah. It. I mean, what's a what's an example of a really bad idea that we see in the contemporary world? I'm trying to say something that's not polarizing. Yeah, because I can think of like 20 right now, but they're all super polarizing, and I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm ostracizing anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the the point is that bad ideas have real world con- consequences. Good ideas also have real world consequences. When you speak about compassion for humanity, for example. And people really take that concept into their heart. That has a real world consequence and people start to act compassionately. Similarly, if you have a concept that people are mm, evil just because they think a certain way or look a certain <clears> way <throat> and you propagate that to your constituents and they start to really take that into their heart, that has real world consequences where people start going out and just shooting and killing all these things because of that. Right. So that means that our con- the, the conception is a very important thing. And the teachers, at least in the traditional cultures that we hear about in the scriptures, they were the persons responsible for propagating those ideas and seeing to it that people really got those ideas because of their real world consequences. Right. So that means that that's a really important service, but it's a, it's a service that can all, oftentimes be overlooked because of the, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't look like you're doing much. Especially when you're sitting there and just It's not like reading. a practical it's not like right. a, a practical service where you've like you can see what you've accomplished or right. what like okay, the temple room floor is clean. Right, exactly. Like you mop the floor today. Exactly. Great. And also when you study and then like studying and mental work takes a lot of energy also. So when you, you, you do that and then you say something like, I'm tired, people are like, But you didn't do <laughs> right. you didn't do anything. You've been just sitting and reading this whole time. So I do put a lot of, uh, I do tend to put a lot of emphasis on the importance of knowledge, the importance of study, the importance yeah, it's, of it's proper super ideas important. being propagated. I think in, um, in our, 
in our modern ISKCON family, a lot of mm, Gaudiya um, family outside of ISKCON, they criticize us actually because of our conception. And really, for, for what? For having bad conceptions or having certain wrong conceptions about our philosophy. Right. Um, not that those shade out there to anyone, but for example, oh, this is going to sound like look up, I think look I think my it. wiring is just to be like hateful. So I <laughs> I apologize. This is a this is a, a comfortable yeah. and safe environment. A safe, a safe zone. <laughs> safe zone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for example, when a manager gives a class, especially when a manager is giving class and the manager doesn't study that much. Then what will be the tendency when a manager gives a class? The tendency will be to represent things that are important for the project. Right. For example, and not always representing the spiritual conception in the class. Like what the what is Prabhupada trying to tell us in the purport? What is a verse actually trying to tell us? Right. Rather, let me come in the class with some agenda that I need to express and then somehow I pick up one <clears> little <throat> word from Prabhupada's purport there, one little sentence there, and weave it together in some presentation, which is a very kind of dishonest presentation. And so this has um, led a lot of groups outside of ISKCON to criticize our, our presentation um, of Christian consciousness, criticize our conceptions. We have certain wrong conceptions. We have conceptions that are, that are not accurate. And I think that might be a fair criticism. Therefore, um, my tendency to emphasize that we need to improve in that area, not only for not being criticized by people who might hate us anyway for whatever reasons, right. but also for our own family. Like, you know, our senior devotees, they're going to be departing in, what, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years max. A scary and thought. It is a scary thought. We, we already got our next generation of Kirtaniyas lined up. I'm like, where's the next generation of gurus and teachers? And yeah. I was talking to Madhav from L.A. Right. And he was making this point. I thought it was a nice point. He was like, where, you know, where are our teachers? Where are our next GBCs? Where are all these people coming up? So that's a, a really important question. And so because of that importance of having the spiritual conception protected, in fact, when we talk about Semper Dei, especially in our line, we speak about the importance of the spiritual conception, mm. you know, the Shikshra Guru Parampara. Right. So that means the spiritual conception is everything. And that is what ultimately needs to be given energy in order for a Semper Dei to have life. That means you can have the body, but if the spiritual conception isn't there, then your institution is without life. We get this criticism sometimes. So because of that, I've, made some merch talk shit <laughs> what's what's that about well we know what shit means of course it can mean chit shakti the spiritual energy also a generic term for knowledge or awareness is chit right. so it's obviously a cool pun hashtag, hashtag talk shit that um originally i got it as a sort of a kind of like to be a troll right um when people are in the class i we were talking about this a little earlier but oftentimes people give classes this thing disturbs me so much. They start quoting everyone else but the Bhagavatam. Mm. So you, you come into a, a Gaudiya Vaishnava class and you're hearing like a deep analysis of Steve Jobs' Seven Habits of a Successful Person. I don't think it's Steve Jobs. That's, is it not? Who's the, it? <laughs> Steve Jobs is the, is the, the uh, CEO of Apple. Okay, who's the other one that died? Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's Stephen Covey then. Yeah, seven yeah. Habits, is it? Yeah, Seven Habits. Anyway, so, I, I, I remember lots of I only read Shastra. <laughs> So I've, I've seen classes like that where devotees are quoting like this or they're, you know, a Tolle says why is that this. Why is that bad? Mother though? Teresa says this. It's not if it, exactly. if it has to do with the class, then why is it? Just well, to play devil's advocate. Yeah, well, maybe if it has to do with the class. That's a big if. Um, <laughs> a big, that's a True. big if. But also my thing is, you know, talk our shit. 
Right. You know, it's not that you did Narda Muni not have enough to say? Did Vyasadev not have enough to say? Right. Did um uh Brahma didn't have any good content? <laughs> You know, Mother Teresa didn't have any good content, or Mother Teresa has already infected me. <laughs> right. You know, I was thinking Kunti, she didn't, her prayers weren't good enough. Right. There's so much rich um, philosophy in our own tradition, and I oftentimes feel that when we're speaking so many other things, it kind of betrays a lack of awareness of our own tradition, and that's exactly how the sampradaya becomes, um, the spiritual conception becomes eroded. Mm. If you read Prabhupada's purport of um, Evam Param Evam Param Param Rajashio Vidu. So Prabhupada's Fourth chapter? Fourth chapter. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> what verse number? A fourth chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So and Verse one. Verse two. Verse two. Yeah. And and three. So when I mean, you read Prabhupada's purport to that particular verse, yeah. he speaks about the unscrupulous persons who with the great passing of time, have eroded the spiritual conception. Mm. So I was like, well, who are those unscrupulous persons? It must be the unscrupulous persons who are part of the Sampradaya who could Whoa. actually do that. They're not the unscrupulous persons outside who don't give a damn about the Bhagavad Gita. Right. It must be us who are the unscrupulous persons, not taking the responsibility to actually learn something properly. Yeah. And so um, this becomes a, a serious kind of issue. And I, you know, another just grievance in this regard is that devotees are talking about, you know, love for Prabhupada. And I don't doubt when devotees say they have affection for Prabhupada, I can never doubt that. There's no, I never so. bring into question people's feelings. I just take it for granted that it's true. But, you know, Srila Prabhupada, he came over to America primarily to distribute Bhagavatam. If you read the prayers on the um, Jaladuta. On the Jaladuta, he speaks about the distribution of Bhagavatam. His whole concept of um, preaching Christian consciousness is distributing Bhagavatam, the conception of Bhagavatam, not just the book itself, but the conception. Mm. And he's, you know, we hear so many stories of him staying up all night to write the, the poor ports. And even when he was in pain, he would, you know, we hear all these wonderful stories and that, that they're Prabhupada's ecstasies. And then devotees talk about love for Prabhupada, love for Prabhupada. And then they're not reading his books or yeah. they're not representing his books in class, honestly. Or uh, in some cases, they, you, in some cases, you're scared to represent Prabhupada's thinking in certain issues. I've thought about this a lot with the whole ch talking chit subject matter. Mm. For Gaudiya Vaishnavas, chit means topics about Bhagavan, Bhakti, and Bhakta. That's actually at the, if you think of, excuse my language, I'm about to drop a, a whatever. Bomb, when cool. you think of the shit, talking shit, which is what we like to do, right? Talking shit is mad fun. <laughs> That's like humanity's most favorite pastime since time immemorial. All right. So if you think of shit like a like a dirty place, stool, a muddy place, then a lotus flower grows in a muddy place. Mm. So you have the you know the lotus of the chit lotus, so to speak. So you have at the whorl of the lotus, at the center of it, you have topics about Bhagavan, Bhakti, and Bhakta. That's for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, that's actually what we mean by chit. And then when you take it a little bit more into the peripheral, just outside of the whorl of the lotus. Then you have topics about self-realization, bhairagya, sort of these elements of sattva which help promote the um, absorption in bhakti life. And then if you go to the, the very tips of the lotus flower, like the most peripheral part of the lotus flower, then you have topics about like varnashram, the psychophysical stuff, dharma. And there you'll find Srila Prabhupada giving a lot of social commentary. Right. And I like to say, this is the Prabhupada that people don't like so much 
or even devotees. The social commentary. The social commentary part, because of course society changes, um, people's views on certain issues change. Um, there's a tendency to think that Prabhupada made me with social issues because they are, they are always changing. He didn't always perhaps represent the most enlightened concept of a thing, mm. which is, I really push back against that. But there is a tendency to think like that with Prabhupada. Now, it's true that those topics represent the peripheral of Christian content. They're not actually go to Vaishnava's concern, right. all these social issues. But Prabhupada, unique from all the Acharyas, said a lot about social issues. And that's a Prabhupada that people don't like so much. So much so that if you are having to give a class and you have to represent Prabhupada in his own temple, there's a chance you can be shut down or kicked out. I know, I'm not going to name any places, but I know a few places where devotees were representing some views that Prabhupada had perhaps. About. Give me an example. Give me an example. Like about women. For example, Prabhupada has some strong um, statements about women. Right. We've talked about this before. Prabhupada has some really strong statements about black people and um uh, I also didn't know so much about that until about a year and a half ago. And um, some some secular person's writing an article about Prabhupada being a racist. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> how could Prabhupada be a racist, you know? So I was kind of... Like what, what he said or is something different maybe from what he from what he his actions were. For sure. But, you know, he said some really strong things con right. concerning by people's intelligence concerning their overall beauty even mm. um he's in one place he even questions this one is real savage why they have given them freedom <laughs> whoa so probably how do you how do you process that being from in an african-american from a family of you know well growing up i was called the oreo so oh. that's how i deal with that <laughs> <laughs> Black on the outside, white on the inside. Right. Uh, I never identified very strongly with my race, but um, personally, getting over that wasn't a very big deal because we're not this body, and that seems to be the focus that brings you out of this sort of preoccupation. But here's a, an example where a conception, for example, Prabhupada said some strong things about race. I've heard devotees, particularly with black bodies, who have complained that there are sectors of Prabhupada's movement where they use those statements to be extremely prejudiced against black people. Mm -hmm. I don't find that to be a very compelling thing, but I've seen devotees with this concern. Mm. And so then there's an example of a conception having a real world consequence. You know, Prabhupada has some conception about women. You know, some of his purports, he says some really savage things, which we'll not say here. In the real world, in the sense of that, when you're, sh when you're like sharing it with others or how you're presenting it to others? Not only when you're sharing presenting it to others, but how you engage with people from, like, for example, in that particular example about race, how you may conceive of, of a race in general, how you might treat them. This would be the argument of such devotees. Devotees who have complained to me, they've complained of being mistreated. Right. By, and I usually, anyway, usually, again, you have to give the benefit of doubt when people are having their experiences. You cannot just deny course, that. Yeah. But they said they've been mistreated. And they said that they've been mistreated because these persons, on the strength of certain Prabhupada statements, have said something. And therefore, the people who were mistreated and were justifying their mistreatment in their own minds. And that's just an example of how a conception, even a conception understood wrong, in a wrong way, has a real-world consequence. Therefore, right. the need to clarify. Um, on that, I, I like to also say that I tend to stand by all the Prabhupada statements and on, on race, even on women, on homosexuality. I stand by all the Prabhupada's really strong statements. Right. And that's going to be a juicy thing for how me. Has that, how has that been for you just 
uh, interacting with devotees or people who don't agree with that? Like, what has there's probably there's definitely been some friction, I'm sure. Yeah, there's well, I think the friction is because it's hard to have a conversation nowadays in our highly politicized environment. Like, everyone's becoming an activist now. It's like so annoying. Like, everyone's an activist. <laughs> and even if you don't know so much about so many things, you're an activist, you know? We have to resist the whatever, the systems of oppression and so on. So, because of this sort of social justice environment, it's really hard to just have a, a like a rational discussion mm. when, especially if your view doesn't fit the predominating narrative on a particular issue. So, Prabhupada's strong um, views on race or on women and so on. And if you stick by that, that's definitely going to push back against the predominating narrative. And ideally, you just have a conversation about it. Like, okay, what are the reasons that led Prabhupada to say something like that? Now, there may be disagreement about the reasons, but it's not unreasonable. And I find that when devotees often have this conversation about Prabhupada, the, the tendency is to lean towards, it's just like an unreasonable idea. You know, the idea that men and women are not equal on a physical level, or races are not equal on a physical level, or cultures are not equal. On a, because especially when we grew up in, you know, liberal America, mm. so egalitarianism is just like a given. That's not something you even argue. Yeah, no, it's not. But for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we don't believe in the equality of men and women. We believe in the equality of souls. And then according to people's karma, we're put in so many unequal situations. Unfortunately, because that sort of equality is taken as a premise, then you find yourself immediately on the side of like being a demon. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't want to say demon. I don't think- Do you feel like you felt like that? I've, um, I felt, I've had conversations where I've represented to the best of my ability, um, the reasons why Prabhupada may have come to that conclusion trying to argue that, listen, you may not agree with the reasons, but there is, he's not being unreasonable. Mm. And I felt I've, in certain s circumstances, quite frankly, you know, you, you do feel like a demon because people, how, how could you even say something like that? How could you even think something like that? I've gotten, I've gotten a little sauce from a few of my God brothers also. Right. And so, um, it's hard to, I obviously for the progress, first of all, it should be said again, this is the most peripheral part of chit. I, I really like that example that you gave. The lotus, flower, the lotus flower, yeah. The, how that's the periphery. It's but very peripheral. It's not what the you know the meat of it is like. What it's supposed to be, basically. Right. Well, then, so then the the argument to that is that that's okay. No one's going to generally disagree with that. But it, because it's the peripheral, the lotus is kind of like where the where the chit meets the shit. Right. Right. And so because people are preoccupied with these sort of issues, which kind of come in the category of shit talk, and kind of. This chit is kind of coming close to that. So devotees tend to really focus on that part because in order for us to maintain our relevancy, so the argument will go, we need to really be speaking to these particular issues. Mm. And we need to have a more refined presentation of these particular issues because those are the issues that people are concerned with. I don't, I don't personally share that perspective. I feel that the solution is to get to the real chit, the real heart of it, you know, Bhagavan, Bhakti, Bhakta. Of course, and self, the stuff that Krishna talks about in Gita, at least, minimum self-realization. Um, these other sort of topics, actually, they're, by nature, they will keep us divided. Because Krishna describes in the Gita, chapter 18, knowledge and the mode of passion. Mm. You remember that? Knowledge and the mode of passion? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I, I, it sounds familiar. <laughs> I'm, I read it sometime. Ago. Yeah. No, it's cool. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, knowledge and the mode of passion, Krishna speaks of it being focused on the differences that are based on the body right where spiritual um knowledge and the mode of goodness focuses on the 
underlying conscious unity of mm. being. And so by nature, this, the, the preoccupation with this sort of knowledge is by nature divisive. And therefore, you will not find people coming to any conclusion unless they actually come to a higher level of knowledge, sattva at least minimally, if not the real shit, our real shit, the, the bhakti stuff. Yeah. So unfortunately, not, I'm going to say unfortunately, that might be unfair, but a lot of devotees, they have this conviction that in order for us to be relevant, because we do have a problem with relevancy today, so it's not like an unfair criticism mm. but in order for us to be relevant we need to be talking about these particular sort of issues right and therefore um so there therefore this tension will come now how do we effectively present christian consciousness in the social justice environment um when you can barely speak at least as they say speak truth to power and you know, representing holy and honestly Prabhupada's per perspective which is quite controversial when you when you share you know your you know your ideas and your you know yourself with others who are people who are not so familiar with Krishna consciousness, what do you focus on mostly? If if we're not going to go in the direction of you know those social in the periphery type stuff, uh, I mostly focus on talking shit because, <laughs> <laughs> because that's what people like. It means, in other words, make yourself relatable. Right. Um, so. I do do a lot of studying. Um, I'm a little bit of a geek. I'm not the most intelligent person, obviously, That's and okay. it's tr it's obvious. So I'm not the most I'm not the stupidest guy uh, on the block, but I'm You're not very the, humble I, too. I, I'm, I don't know about <laughs> that, but um, I'm not the most intelligent person. But I do spend a lot of t I I think I at least when it comes to Christian conscious philosophy, I'm more well read than a lot of the people that I associate with. Yeah. But I don't present that side of my personality to people in the beginning. I just kind of just be chill. One friend recently told me he comes to our morning Bhagavatam discussions that we do. Mm. And uh, we were having um, dinner at Divya's. And he said, he, like, in all sincerity, he said, Jai, he looked, looked at me really serious. He said, you kind of you ghetto. Because the way I was talking and acting a fool. Those yeah. who spend time with me, they know yeah, how I yeah. can be. So he was like, you kind of ghetto. But in one sentence, you're like cursing and doing something kind of ghetto. And then in the next sentence, you're like quoting three, four verses from the Bhagavatam. <laughs> so he was like, he was like, I'm like genuinely bewildered. And um, of course, it's kind of a persona that I've cultivated. Because yeah. um, the one thing is when you do have a lot of knowledge, then inevitably you will find that people will respect you. They will honor you. They will basically worship you. You'll get sometimes even letters of people asking, can you be my guru? I mean, I've gone through all these things before. Mm. And the tendency is to put a knowledgeable person on a pedestal. And, and then uh, impose upon him certain expectations and so on. So in order for me to circumvent that problem, which came up for me in Chicago at a certain point, I cultivated like a different persona. The mm. persona that was kind of like a little ratchet, little ghetto, um, kind of down to earth. And That's then, probably not helped it to like, it's probably brought more people to you probably it's because it's more relatable, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure um, if it's brought more people to me, but at least when people come to me, we do we discuss a lot of knowledge stuff chit stuff the essence of chit also but they don't get to this like this unrealistic sort of reverence right so it's it's kind of nice mm. um anyway so that's a that's a per persona that i've purposely cultivated to keep myself out of the um danger zone right you um, thinking oneself very exalted and that's awesome that's really so. cool man i i really appreciate that about you you know you got that you got that side where it's very studious and very you know very serious about you know spiritual life but then you have the side that's 
you know, into joking around and being, you know, down to earth and well, relatable, just a predominant side. relatable to other people. <laughs> yeah, you could say that, but that's awesome. Um, so maybe let's go to the quick fire round. All right. Boom, boom, boom. Quick fire round. Here we go. We're going to have to have a uh, sound effect for this, Nima. Right? Yeah. Nima's my our tech guy. Bye. Nima, say hi. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. Quick fire round. These are quick fire questions. Wait, how quickly do I have to answer them? As quick as you want. <laughs> okay. You don't have to, you know. You don't, yeah, don't be nervous. If I gave you $10,000 tomorrow, what would you do with it? Put it in my bank account and decide what to do with it later. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. What person has had the greatest influence in your life and why? Um, my mother, I think. Um, there are a few people, but the first person that comes to mind is my mother. Yeah. To be frank, all those ass whoopers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She kept, uh, she, she was a single mother. She ruled with an iron fist because she had to be mo mom and dad. Right. And she kept us out of trouble and kept us focused. And um, now both her sons became devotees of Krishna. And Amazing. What has helped you overcome difficult times in life? Primarily, uh, well, two things I think they're interrelated. Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Bhagavatam and Sadhu Sangha. Um, when I was in Chicago, practically alone for many years. Then it was a Bhagavatam that would keep me from leaving. There were many times where I felt like I'm about to bounce. This, this, <laughs> this shit is bogus. <laughs> but I had the habit of studying two or three hours every day. And I would find something in Prabhupada's purpose and it would keep me around. And then later wow. on, it was Sadhu Sangha that Amazing. would keep me focused. That's great. What has been the strongest factor for you in achieving your goals in life? If you, if goals you, in life? If you achieve... <laughs> <laughs> I often tell people I can't even think about uh, like for the next day. Right, it's really hard for me. I don't plan for the future. I don't have any major ambitions. Um, but if I had any real goal, I would I would like to present material for communicating Bhagavatam in a, in a, a better and a more effective way. Nice, that's so, good. Is so it, studying Bhagavatam has helped me to move towards that sort of. Right. Right. Uh, if the world's infrastructure collapsed and there were no more gas or electricity, where would I find you and what would you be doing? Breja, doing Harinam Sankirtan on the Kirtan party, eating prasadam, studying Bhagavatam, sleeping and waiting to die. Nice. Wow. All right. Your most often used word. I can't say it. <laughs> 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 all right well um that brings us to the conclusion of our first podcast the late morning program thanks for being on appreciate thank it thank you very much <laughs> so stay tuned i'd like to thank our viewers for uh tuning in to this um podcast and also um i guess jay jagannath prabhu catch him on facebook jay jagannath das instagram what's your instagram um, Urban Sage Deliberates. Urban Sage Deliberates. He does morning Bhagavatam classes daily, Monday through Friday. You can uh, get in contact with me for that. But um, we'll definitely have you on again because I know there's a lot of... What you spoke about was very much like uh, on a high level of what you're about mm -hmm. and what your, thing, you know, what your views are on certain things. But I'd like to even delve deeper on certain yeah. things if we can be more focused and stuff would be awesome Definitely. to future to do that all right awesome. take care Prabhu. thanks Adi. Adi. Adi.